Apparently, last week I spoke on um, the, this two-week mini-series called Crazy Busy, and it worked. Did it work? Was it weird? It was weird. I love it. Well, I love it. You say, did it work? There's people nodding confidently and smiling, and then you say, was it weird? And they're still nodding and smiling, so that's great. Um, but uh, I, hope it was, I hope it was helpful. But what we did, if you weren't here, um, a year ago in Eastbourne, I, I preached a two-week mini-series called Crazy Busy, uh, why, Seven Reasons Why Lots of Us Are Stressed and What to Do About It. And it's based on this book, a book called Crazy Busy, Uninventively, um, by Kevin DeYoung, which I found fantastically helpful. It was in 2013, it was the best book I read, um, sort of was outstanding. And so what I did is just to summarize it in two weeks, and uh, so we played one of them last week, and I'm going to pick up the second half for this morning. Because New Year is typically a time of the year when people start making plans and resolutions. And How many people here actually made at least one New Year's resolution? You actually did. You either said it to somebody, you wrote it down. You, let's have a, a proper hand rather than this sort of finger-pointing thing that people do. Okay, so a small percentage. Okay, well, that may mean that it doesn't apply to as many as I thought. But in my experience, New Year is often that time when people start thinking, right, here's what we want to get done this year. And what we do is we look back at a year that was exhausting and busy, and then we look forward at a year and think, now what more can I add into it to make it even more busy and stressful? Now that may be what you do, um, but it can be in a good way a time of the year when people examine priorities for the next year. So I wanted to speak into that with some very practical teaching based on this book. Um, and my goal really is to try and help us become less busy and less stressed and more like Jesus. That's the goal of, of these two talks. And so what we did last week, if you missed it, was last week we looked at four reasons why people are busy and stressed and what to do about it. And we got seven in total. We looked at four last week. Um, and those four reasons we looked at were naivety, a misunderstanding of the nature of stress we have in life, and that the answer to that was self-awareness. And then we looked at pride. We said a lot of people are busy because we're proud, because we love, as Jez was just joking around now, people saying, I don't know how you do it, or wow, what an extraordinary life you lead, able to fulfill all these obligations. And we like people thinking we're great. And often that's a cause of busyness as well, so it's pride. Thirdly, there's the sense of obligation that many of us feel. We feel like, I'm, but I must, I have lots and lots of things I must do in order to serve. And every time we hear about a good cause, we can feel like we need to be involved in it, rather than, instead of, rather than feeling a sense of opportunity to serve. We feel an obligation. An obligation means you have to do everything. Opportunity means not everybody can do everything. In fact, no one can do everything. I might be able to just do a couple of things, and when I do them, I'll try and do them well. And so that actually need provides opportunities to serve rather than obligations to serve. That's the third thing. And then the fourth reason that many of us are busy is because of muddle, uh, which we don't really know what we're here to do. We don't really understand what the priorities in our lives should be. And as a result, we don't, peop, even the fact that people use the word priority in the plural is odd. All right, so what are your priorities for the year? Well, the word prior means first. So for people to say, what are your priorities, simply shows we don't understand what the word even means. So we talk that way, don't we? We say, well, I've got nine priorities. No, you haven't. You've got one thing that's prior at the top of the list. But actually, if we don't know what that is and we think we've got nine priorities, we find we don't have any posteriorities or things which go at the bottom of the list, and that's what we need to develop. And that's muddle-headed thinking. It's often just a lack of planning or a lack of clarity about what we're here for. Um, and the answer to that is having a sense of, of clarity bound, based in Scripture and in what God's called us to do. So those were the th that's what we did last week. And if some of that sounds like you missed it and you think, oh, that sounds interesting, I'd like to hear how that works, um, I know the, the, the talk is online. And this week we're going to look at three more. So three more reasons why many of us are busy. And by the way, did it, I didn't do this because last week I was sort of obviously on a video, but how many people feel like they would actually describe themselves regularly as being very busy? 
How many people say that that is what I do? So how many people am I talking to? Okay? That's nearly everybody. Tony Witz is proud of saying, nope, I, actually I'm fine. I've, I've got on top of this. Alex Jeffrey, he's pretty chill, but that may be just because he's so busy concentrating on the slides that he doesn't know what I'm saying. Um, but most of us then, it would seem, have an issue. So here are the remaining three reasons that Kevin DeYoung points out, I think he's right. Uh, so three further reasons why many of us are busy and stressed. One is fear. One is technology, actually. And then the last one is a kind of a joker in the pack, and I'll save that till we get to the end. And then what we're going to do at the end of this talk is conclude by giving us the, talking about the one thing that we absolutely must do this year, right? For all of the other stuff that's going around, there's one thing that we just have to do, have to get right uh, to flourish as Christians. So we'll get onto that as we conclude. So the fifth reason why many of us are crazy busy, we've got four already. The fifth reason why many of us are crazy busy is often fear. It's a fear, many times, of failure, and it besets all of us in many different ways. Um, and it's a great example of how the enemy attacks and accuses people, no matter what stage of life they're in, and no matter what they're doing. There's a fear that we're not going to make enough out of our lives. A fear that something depends on us and won't be done unless we really throw ourselves into it with all we have. Um, and that multiplies. You get it with many, many causes. And so there's a good example of this would be to take somebody who is not a parent, okay? So somebody who's not got children, whether you're single or you're married without children, and what the accuser tries to do is to make you feel like a second-class citizen, first of all, despite all the wonderful things the Bible says about people who are single or who don't have children, and then it tries to make you fill your life with busyness using the following argument, right? You have got to achieve so much more than people who have children because they have children. They've got all of these pressures and things demanding on their time. You don't have that, so you must make yourself really productive because look at all this time you must have. Look at all of these opportunities you have to be able to do this stuff that the children people don't have, so you've got to work really, really hard and drives you to fill your life with busyness and rather than saying, now, as we should before God, how do I now find joy and rest and contentment in God, the enemy, the accuser says, well, look, they do all of this stuff, and they've got kids, so what about you? Come on, and they drive you into, be, drives you into being as busy as you can be. You failed, right? So he plays that card on people who don't have children. Meanwhile, he's playing a completely different card to those people who do have children. So if you're a parent, the enemy drives you to extreme busyness using the same strategy, fear of failure. Your child today is far, far less likely to die today than it really any other time or place in human history. But parents seem to be far more worried about their children now than they ever have been. And it's because of the absurd expectations and corresponding fears that we put upon ourselves or that the world puts on us as parents. And to be honest, we put those expectations on our kids as well. So we fear failing as parents, and that means we put a huge amount of time and effort making ourselves enormously stressed in order to make sure that we don't. So at the same time, the enemy is going, if you don't have kids, here's why you should fear failure. And at the same time, he's saying to people who do have kids, and here's why you should fear failure as well. So it turns out you can make a lot of money and or get a lot of votes by fostering fear in parents. It's a wonderful way. It's a great gig. You just say, I just make parents scared, and they will pay me for having done that. Sugar in a cereal? You must be in a lunchbox. You put sugar in a lunchbox, you child abuser. You must stay in a car seat until you're six foot two. And if you don't, we're all going to die. The the, you, you send your kids to the local school, to the nearest one. 
You don't, you, you, instead of, you know, surely you, you pick the best school in the county and then drive nine hours through the rush hour there and back to, in order to get your kids the best possible chance in life. How dare you send them to the nearest school just because it's convenient? Your children don't learn any instruments. Your children haven't learned to do what? And that means they might not go to university. And then where would we all be? And you see that just the way in which accusation and fear of failure can just ramp up on people who do have children, and actually the same fear is present in people who don't, it's just being applied in different ways. Now there's nothing wrong with parents obviously being committed to their children doing well. That's good. I am, I want my kids to do well and so on. But there is something very wrong with being driven by fear. And Christians are called to trust God for good things. To say, I do, I, I, I don't know how this is going to work, but I know I'm not up to everything. I don't have everything together, but I'm going to trust God that things will be well. I will obey him in the things that he's told me to do, and I will trust him in all the things that he hasn't. And interestingly, that is also what children want. So here's an interesting excerpt from the book, which I thought was fascinating. One of the best things we can do for our kids is to find a way to stop being so frantic and frazzled. In the Ask the Children survey, researcher Ellen Galinsky interviewed more than a thousand children in years three through to twelve and asked parents to guess how kids would respond. One key question asked the kids what one thing they would change about the way their parents' work was affecting them. The results were striking. The kids rarely wished for more time with their parents. That's what you'd think, isn't it? Think, oh, more time. But no. But much to the parents' surprise, they wished their parents were less tired and less stressed. Similarly, Galinsky asked kids to grade their parents in 12 areas. Overall, parents did pretty well with most mums and dads around a B. Most parents got an A when it came to making their children feel important and being able to attend important events in their lives. The biggest weakness, according to the kids, was, any guesses? Anger management. More than 40% of kids gave their mums and dads a C, D or F on controlling their temper. It was the worst grade on the children's parent report card. Our children, Kaplan argues, are suffering from second-hand stress. By trying to do so much for them, we're actually making them less happy. It would be better for us and for our kids if we planned fewer outings, got involved in fewer activities, took more breaks from the kids, did what we could to get help around the house, and made parental sanity a higher priority. So I think it's quite interesting. And there's just one, this one-liner which struck me. It said, most mums and dads think they are either the best or the worst parents in the world and both are wrong. It's just a huge amount of pressure, which is often self-imposed and often externally imposed by people who, as I say, stand to make money out of it. And whether you're single or married, or married without children, whether you're a parent or not, or whether your children are long past the age where you're worrying about them sitting in car seats, the antidote to fear, which is being generated all the time, the enemy loves fear, thinks it's fantastic because it binds people up and stops them being free, the antidote to that is simply to trust that God is a good father which is such a focus of what we've just been singing and sharing about. I was, um, a friend of mine was, just often uses this illustration about the way, we, the way we regard God as Father and the freedom that he gives us. Because many of us walk through life fearing that we've put a foot wrong and as a result we may have lost the purposes of God. There's again, a word, is amazing, there's, there's a lot of things that have already been shared in worship which relate so closely to this. And, um, and so I think, I can't even remember who it was, but somebody was sharing, weren't they, about you, you feel like you've lost it in the sense of putting a foot wrong and now your God's purpose for your life has gone. And, um, and my friend was trying to make this, do this illustration. He was saying, look, th- here's how it works. He said, I go to a park with my four kids and they're all on bicycles. And the oldest is 11 and the youngest is four. And the one who's four will be cycling around the park in complete freedom, this sort of big, wide open space, cycling around the park in complete freedom until he gets near one of the exits 
um, where he might go out onto a road. But the rest of the time, he's fine. And I, as his father, am happy with him going wherever he wants. The, there's, just, there's some boundaries to, the will of, to my will as a father of what I want him to do, and I won't let him go beyond them. But, as soon as, but if he's within the boundaries, within the park, he can go anywhere he likes. But he says, the only time I call him and tell him that he mustn't do it is when he's approaching one of the exits. But at that point, I don't whisper. I don't go, Zachary, Zachary, you might want to think about, you know. I have, if I see him heading towards one of the exits, towards the road, I go, Zachary, stop. Zach-. And if he doesn't, I sprint towards him and may physically have to wrestle him off his bike and turn him around because I care about his safety. And of course, what he, the point he's making is, Good fathers look and see that they say there's a huge amount of freedom to be had here. There's nothing to fear as long as you are within these massive boundaries of my will. If you are about to leave my will and go off somewhere else, I will really make a fuss about it. I will speak to you through scripture. I will speak to you through the church. I will speak to you through other people confronting and challenging you. I will tell you that's outside the will of God. Don't go there. But within these parameters, you can go anywhere you like. And you don't need to fear because I'm a good dad. That's how God speaks to his children. I found that very helpful. And that is a vital way of fighting fear and the stress of being crazy busy. Because that's what, otherwise that's what we do. We, we go, well, I'm, I might have got it wrong. I might be, if I do, don't do this and that and that and all these other things, I won't be able to be where God wants me. That fear will make us very stressed and very busy. And it's important that we learn to trust the goodness of the Father in the midst of that. So that's the fifth reason why people are busy, is Fear. The sixth factor that contributes to the busyness of our lives, uh, for most of us anyway, is technology. Okay? Now this one might not, like all of the other seven, they might not quite land for you. You might think, I don't actually use that much technology, I'm not controlled by it really, um, but most of us do. And as an example of quite how ridiculous this has become, I wondered if Alex could put up this photo that I found online uh, that I thought really did just push things to the absolute limits. That is an iPotty, would you believe? It actu- that's wha- actually what it's called. So somebody is try- somebody's trying to get children into iPads while they're sitting on the potty. And again, there's money to be made in doing it. Yeah? You get children hooked on technology, you sell a lot more devices. But that ought to make every sane person in the room, and I really hope no one in the room has got one for their children, because uh, <laughs> I've just implied you're insane. But, um, but that ought to make every sane person say, oh my goodness, how far from the pack have we strayed that that is regarded as something you can sell on Amazon? And technology is wonderful. Right? Technology is brilliant. I use lots of technology. It makes um, things get done quicker. Wealth can be created better. People can live longer. There's lots and lots of benefits. None of us would have the lives we lead remotely without technology. And I'm certainly not speaking against technology, given that I wrote this talk on a computer and I'm speaking to you through a microphone. And then after that, we're going to put it on the internet. And I've just read a quote off my phone. So I'm not anti-tech. I'm not, that's, not, I'm not me. that's not me. But... Jesus said we need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves at the same time. Right? We need to be people who understand how the world works and at the same time innocent of the stains it can bring about at the same time. And I think that applies to everything that God has made, including technology. So from televisions to portable music to the internet to mobile everything, technology has immense power to increase our stress and to destroy our joy. It really does. It has huge power to do that. For example... Technology can be addictive, right? It can be addictive. It can, it can do to your brain the same kind of thing that other addictive substances can do. It can make you thoroughly reliant on feeding new content into your head. Could you go a day without your phone? Imagine, just, imagine right now, we said we're going to take in all phones and we'll give them back. We'll drive around your houses tomorrow and give them all back. Could you go a day without your phone? 
How much harm would it do you in your daily life? How much disruption do you feel would come about? Could you go a week without texting, without email, without Facebook or Twitter or Instagram? Do you fast social media? If those things, the answer to any of those questions is yes. Do you have a, a, a discipline of fasting it? I'm saying I'm not going to do that anymore. Now, for this period of time, I'm going to go a day, a week, a month without using this mode of technology. I don't mean in your office. <laughs> so people send you an email, I'm sorry, I can't do that task. I'm fasting. So no, I don't mean that. Perhaps more at the social media end, things which are more for you. But if, the, if, if in saying, could you do that, you know that deep down the answer is probably no, that's when you need to really consider doing it. You need to think, is this actually, am I addicted to this? In the same way that a lot of people, you know those people who don't think they're addicted to coffee, but they clearly are? You know those people who go, oh, I'm not addicted to coffee, but I have to have to, you know, I want, is that true of this? Is it true of whatever, whatever technological media you use? Technology is addictive. Technology can undermine families. I, I, this, I'm speaking to myself here with lots of this stuff. This is um, people doing this at dinner. You have any, yeah? Do you have rules about that in your house? Who has, who has, rule, who, who has a, a policy for that kind of thing, whether or not they've ever written it down? Yes. Uh, okay, good. Anybody else? Anyone else? Yes. Jazz, that's fantastic, okay? So single woman of 20-odd already has a policy. That's brilliant. Okay, but a lot of... Actually, it's really important to do that. It's really important to say, what, what are we and are we not going to allow within the context of family life? Because you, you can, this just, just destroys family life, doesn't it? Just people sitting there doing this. Do you have friends like that? Where you meet up with them... And you texted to meet them. And then, you, I remember this guy I knew in London. I couldn't believe it. You'd text and you'd arrange to meet. And then when you met, he would spend all his time with you texting and arranging to meet the next people. You think, why don't you just talk to us? And then you won't have to. But it was bizarre. So it was, and I'm sure when he went on to them, he was then with the next bit of his social life. So we had, we had for a long time in our family a Twitter foul chart. Which is any time, so for me, because I'm in, on a Twitter, Rachel isn't. She hates it. So we've got the, on the kitchen cupboards. Anybody who came into our house would just see AJ's Twitter foul charts would have. And so she'd five-bar gate system. And if the five-bar gates got completed, she at, at the bottom would put, and if you complete, get to this far, there will be a hot tub purchased for Rachel's sole use. That's how she managed to put it out there. So I, and she eventually took it down because I stopped committing such fouls. Well, that's good. Do you have a social media policy? As I said, it, take, it will take courage, actually, as a parent to instill that kind of culture in your home. A lot of people will think it's backward and weird, but it's really important. I don't mean a written policy with subpoints, by the way. I just mean to, to people know that there are boundaries, that we do not have endless tech anywhere in our home life. Mobile technology can under, undermine families. It's also physically changing the way our brains work, which is interesting. Studies have indicated that we're able to concentrate for shorter periods of time because our brains are being rewired Physically, you know, becoming more and more familiar with lots of new content and not concentrating on one thing for a long period of time. Which means people are finding it harder and harder to read books and harder to actually think about the same issue for a long period of time. I think sometimes even, I'm conscious of this in church life, I'm, just, I'm worried about feeding that, actually, just by the way we do church could very easily imply that we don't have to, and certainly a lot of people in my line of work who were saying, no, 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 people can't concentrate. 35 minutes, you talk on a Sunday. How, what are you thinking? Nobody can concentrate for that. Everyone's going to concentrate for 11 seconds and then they drifted off. I'm looking around the room. See, most of you still like, you're still, you're still with me. But actually, there's a lot of, even that way, people saying, come on, feed the laziness that's coming into our brains through the social media generation. I want new stimulus all the time and if I'm not getting it, I'm not going to listen to you. It's dangerous. Technology can prevent us from being alone. It can make us busy just by removing that sense of being quiet. Blaise Pascal, French 
philosopher, mathematician, famous for a triangle and a wager and other things. Blaise Pascal said, I've often said that the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he doesn't know how to stay quietly in his own room. Which is quite an interesting remark from a guy who lived 250 years before any of this technology we're talking about. Because technology actually interrupts us and that can destroy our joy and increase our stress. You feel like you never actually continue, completed a thought and it can do terrible things for your prayer life. So one of the reasons I do, I have a social media sort of fast that I do each year on, uh, just come, I'm not on Facebook anyway, but come off Twitter for Lent, which is my way to, but I just want to make sure it doesn't control me. I want to make sure that the tail and the dog are the right way around. But actually one of the things that it can damagingly do is just stop the possibility of prayer because there's always something to draw your mind to. And there's a good reason, I think, why Jesus said, go into your room when you pray and shut the door. Now, he meant don't show off, right? Pray in private. But actually, you realize there's a lot of other benefits to that kind of practice. And one of them is simply you're just not being talked to by the world for a period of time, and it's just you and your Heavenly Father. And most of us probably find that praying uninterrupted for a period of time is hard enough as it is to keep concentrating without needing stimuli coming in every which way distracting you from technology. Social media can cultivate insecurities. It can make us feel stressed about our personal and social lives because generally the premise of something like Facebook or Instagram is I will take a photo of my life when it's at its most interesting and you will read it when you are at your most bored. That's what social media is, isn't it? Yeah? When do you lazily flick through your feed? It's when you're unoccupied. But when do you put stuff on is when you've just had a great day. So it makes everybody think that everybody else's lives is more interesting than theirs and as a result makes everybody miserable and stressed and busy because they want to feel like they're justifying themselves. It's really funny seeing the lights go on on certain faces in the room, people going, oh yeah, it's really, okay. D again, doesn't mean don't use it. Just means be wise to it and don't allow it to make us crazy busy. Technology undermines rhythms. It means that we work while we're resting and we rest while we're working. Yeah? So as an employer, which I am, have people working for us, we, we just like have the, ch we have the challenge. How are we going to deal with the challenge of people using social media in their daily work at the same time as we have the same challenge with people who are working when they're supposed to be spending time with their families. How do we handle that? Technology increases sleeplessness. The, this is amazing. The average American sleeps two and a half hours less a week than 100 years ago. It's just, I'm, that may not all be technology. I don't know what it is, but that's a lot. Technology makes us feel like we're limitless. Now, this is a, a, you know, another just a brief excerpt. I thought this was, this was great. Because we accept the presence of indwelling sin, we will, become, we will not be blind to the potential idolatries and temptations we can succumb to online. And because we know ourselves to be fallen, we will accept the limits of our human condition. We cannot have meaningful relationships with thousands of people. We cannot really know what's going on in the world. We cannot really be truly here and there at the same time. The biggest deception of our digital age may be the lie that says we can be omnicompetent, omni-informed, and omnipresent. We cannot be any of these things. We must choose our absence, our inability, and our ignorance, and choose wisely. The sooner we embrace this finitude, the sooner we can be free. I love that. We've got to choose our absence and our incompetence wisely. I love that statement. Don't, most of us don't really think about choosing our incompetences, but that's what we've got to do. Say, so that is just going to be one of those things I don't care about. I know nothing about it, and that's okay. 
So there might be some here, even when I just read out that thing earlier on, said I'm sure we all know about what happened in France. Some people here might be going, I didn't know that had happened. That's fine. Be liberated from the need to know what's going on about everything. We don't. In most of human history, you and I would have no idea what had happened 500 miles away. So why should we now? You might want to, and I do, but do you see what I mean? It it can drive, actually, even in me quoting it like that, you can go, I feel like maybe I'm out of the loop. It's okay. We're all out of millions of loops, and so we should be. I use a lot of technology, as I said, and I will continue to, but I need restfulness more than connectedness. So maybe book time in your diary to rest in 2015, to rest from technology, to take some time out. So that's six things, I think, so far that make us crazy busy, right? Naivety, pride, obligation, muddle, fear, technology. The seventh one is completely different. It's not a negative thing like all the others. It's a positive thing. It's an aspect of living life as a follower of Jesus in the world. And in a sentence, that reason is we are busy because we're supposed to be busy. Oh, no. Undermined all the other six points. We are meant to work hard and love lots and suffer much and stand firm and train children and fight sin and preach the gospel and achieve things. We are supposed to be like that as people. Actually, we have been given responsibility to look after God's world, and that means that there is a lot to be done. And that's not a bad thing in itself. Kevin DeYoung says, Busyness, as I've been diagnosing it, is as much a mindset and a heart sickness as it is a failure in time management. It's possible to live your days in a flurry of hard work, serving and bearing burdens, and to do so with right character and a right dependence on God, so it doesn't feel crazy busy. By the same token, it's possible to feel amazingly stressed and frenzied while actually accomplishing very little. The antidote to busyness of soul isn't sloth or laziness and indifference. The antidote is rest, rhythm, death to pride, acceptance of our limits, and trust in the providence of God. Life isn't supposed to be easy. When Paul and Barnabas visited the Asian churches they planted in Acts 14, they went back through the churches teaching them all one key message. They said, through many hardships, we must enter the kingdom. That's our key message. We preached the gospel, planted a church, go on to another town, preached the gospel, planted a church. They went back through and they prayed in elders and they said, through many tribulations or difficulties, we will enter the kingdom. That was their key message. It's like, hey, thanks for coming. Imagine visiting preacher comes in and goes, hey, it's going to be really hard. Oh, great. But that's what they did. Raising and training children is a tribulation a lot of the time. It's a very, very good thing, but it isn't very easy. Serving the church is a delightfully good thing to do, but Paul thought it was the hardest thing he ever did. He listed all his sufferings. I was beaten, I was shipwrecked, I had this, I had whacked with sticks all these times, but above all of those things is the care I have for the churches I'm looking after who really take me to places that the sufferings don't. Hard work is something we're all called to, not just people with jobs. Right? We know that? that work is something humans are called to. You may get paid for it, you may not. But we are supposed to be working hard, actually, as people, whoever we are. Unemployed, uh, retired students, working people, family, people looking after kids. We are all working, most of us are, of course. We are working hard, diligently. We are using our effort to contribute to human flourishing. And in doing that, it's hard. And we're meant to, actually. We're meant to be working hard. Being a friend is time-consuming and very inefficient and extremely draining sometimes, and that's okay. You know, one day, creation will be renewed and the curse will be lifted and the hills will be covered in vineyards and everyone will have their own home and won't have to work, 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 will work, but it'll all be restful 
and we will enter into everlasting rest. And it's going to be great, but that hasn't happened yet. And so for now, we work. So please don't hear all these other six points as meaning, ah, you see, to make myself freer and less busy, I'm just going to stop doing anything useful. I'll sit on the sofa indefinitely. That is not the answer. And there will be good opportunities, I trust, in life groups over coming weeks to talk this stuff through and to apply it with wisdom. So I'm going to finish this mini-series, as I said at the beginning, having done these seven things that cause busyness, just to look at the one thing that we must do. And for those of you who are very edgy because I haven't quoted the Bible yet, could you turn to Luke 10 and verse 38, just as we conclude. Right, Luke 10 and verse 38. I don't know if it's... I didn't ask for it probably, so it probably isn't up here. Maybe it is. <gasps> it is! Wow. Alex Jeffrey, just a step ahead of the preacher. Isn't that great? Right? He's been busy. Uh, Luke 10, 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. He sat there and listened. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Oh, that's a colossal faux pas in that kind of culture. Women served men in that world. That's how it was. So the women would cook and the men would talk. And for the woman to come in and sit down as if she also was able to learn just like the guys among the, among the men was a massive social you know, misstep. You shouldn't do it in their world. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Right, you usually pointed out, if Jesus says your name twice, you're usually in trouble. Right? Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Like Martha, Martha, you know, like that. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Right? This is, that's the crazy busy person. I'm anxious, troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. There are many things to be distracted by in life. And there's many things I've talked about in this little two weeks which could easily become another list of things to do. That's the irony of all this. It could be on top of all I was doing last year. Here's another seven things I must now do in order to combat all the other stuff. Jesus said, God, you're distracted, anxious by many things, but one thing is necessary. Sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to Jesus. If you do nothing else in 2015, no, if you do nothing else, you won't, but if you did, do nothing else in 2015, sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching. Not mine, not Jez's, not the church's, but encounter Jesus. Set aside time to read his words and to talk to him and you will have the good portion which won't be taken away. There's many, many other things that you can be distracted and anxious by and many of them have to be done as we've said. That it's not too late, even this year, if you want just to set aside a bit of time to pray this year, even if it's just... I'm, I'm, that's one, that's my, my, effectively my one resolution this year. Uh, we kind of had two. We had a sort of financial one, and we had just one about just being able to... just a, f a way of doing prayer that made me just pray a little bit more. 
It might be, you know, last year as many of us in the church went through the Bible in one year. You could do that. It happens every year. You could just go use an app or something just to help you. Make, redeem technology. But it might be just, I want to be able to read, whether it's the whole Bible or even some of the Bible, but I want to be able to just give a little bit of time, a little bit more than I have, perhaps, to the one thing, the thing Jesus said, Mary, look, Martha, all of this other stuff is fine, but she's chosen the one thing, the, the good portion, which is, I'm not going to take away, and that right to be able to sit at Jesus' feet and hear what he says and talk to him. That's the one thing we absolutely must do. And some of us, that will mean stage of life, Christian maturity, who knows what. Then it might mean you go for an hour and just off and away with God, wonderful. Others of you, do you know what, for me in my daily life, if I just had two minutes of silence where I was talking to God, that would be a step forward. You could be anywhere on that spectrum and outside of it if you want, but choose the one thing in 2015. Avoid being crazy busy and being distracted with much serving by getting the right priority, the one thing in your life. As George Mueller said, you know, my first duty every morning is to get happy in God because until I am, I'm no use to anybody. And ask John and the guys to come out and just help us as you know, conclude with perhaps the time of for just a final song and so on. But could we just stand and I want to pray for us and just we had some fantastic I was so blessed by being in the time of song worship at the start I just thought what Zoe shared about weakness uh, and recognizing limitations but somebody else as I said that word about knowing that you had you thought that you had something in your life that had knocked you off God's purposes for the future that something you'd done and I think there's a lot of that prophetic stuff we need to just be able to receive from God and, and allow him to free us really but Heavenly Father we thank you for your good plans we thank you for your good, your, your sovereign power, that means your plans will happen. Thank you that for all the good things that there are to do, there's only one thing that we really will never have taken away from us, that good portion. You're never ever going to say spending time with you was time wasted. And I pray that you'd help us. I know that the amount of shouting and noise, I know for some people in this room, this bit of their week is the quietest bit. It's so hard to find time to listen to God. For other people, it may be a need to nudge in another direction. It may be control of technology. It may be muddle. It may be goodness knows what. But we pray, Father, that you would help all of us as individuals and as family units to make good decisions off the back of today. Things which are going to help us truly prioritize the one thing and avoid being stressed. I don't want this to be a stressful, busy year. Lord, maybe look back in December and think, you know, that what actually that year was a bit better than that. It was. Like we, we didn't get breakthrough, we still had stress, but we generally came through and felt cleaner and less cluttered than we had before. And I pray, Father, you would bless my brothers and sisters here as they try and just put you first in normal life. In Jesus' name. Amen.